0: Marcio's story is such an encouragement. It's such a wonderful story. I love how he talks about how his healing is one that was inner and outer, physical, emotional, spiritual, as he puts it. I love how his story is one of a journey. It's a story of, of a process of healing. I continue to pray for Marcio and his process of healing, and I hope you will too. Speaking of process, uh, my wife and I, uh, Megan, you saw her earlier, um, by the way, my name is Larry, if you haven't met me before, I'm the executive associate pastor here, which means I manage the staff. Uh, anyway, my wife and I, we are going through a process of moving to Port Orchard, we actually have moved to Port Orchard, and now we are going through the process of settling in, and uh, if you've done that before, you know what that means, you know it means unpacking boxes, it means adjusting it to new living quarters, maybe you're tweaking things, uh, painting walls, that kind of stuff. Well, one of the things that we are in the process of adjusting or um, that I saw needed tweaking was our garage door openers. We had, we had garage door openers that were 20 years old and they worked fine except they were missing some safety features and with a three-year-old boy, I wanted to make sure they were working properly. And so I, uh, I had done that before. I had replaced a garage door opener before in our old home and then it took like three hours or so. But this time... Drum roll, please. How long did this take? It took eight hours. Eight hours. Ah, oh, a few snags on the way. Let me show you what this looked like when I was done. Gaze and weep on this monstrosity. Okay, maybe you don't see what I'm talking about, but okay, look at this. See that piece of tape up there in the ceiling? I used tape to, to tape up the, the, insula- the wires. That was that was a miss. Okay, about 8:30 at night, I was trying to put this support bar up, and my eyes were a little crossed, so. You might see that it's a bit uneven here. Go ahead and, yeah, see? Uh, yeah, I was cross-eyed. I'm sorry. Uh, and what else? Oh, yeah, the support beam, when it's going down to the holes, I didn't put them in the right holes. One's in the right hole. The other is not in the right hole. Let me tell you, about 9.30 at night, I was done. I was done. I was just ready. It worked. I'm good. Let's go. Let's move. Now, here's the thing. I had another one to put up. Whew, yeah, okay, so I gave myself a day to recover and recuperate. And then this one, this one took three hours. Look at it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So first of all, check out those wires at the top. They're, oh wait, yeah, the support. I measured it. I measured it, it's even. Good job, me. And look, the wires are stapled up with insulating staples. Isn't that great? And then I actually put them in the right holes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Here's a funny question. If Jesus had to hang a garage door opener do you think it would take him two tries to get it right? I mean, think about it. Would it take him two tries to get it right? I asked that question because the passage we're going to read today looks like Jesus had a do-over. It looks like he's given his best try at a miracle, and it doesn't work at first, and he's got to keep going at it. Isn't that interesting? Let's just dive right in and see what, see what I'm talking about here in Mark chapter 8. If you've got your Pew Bible, if you're using a Pew Bible, you can pull it up into page 844. You can look at your own Bible. You can follow along on the screen. But please do follow along and keep this open because we're going to be staying in the text here this morning. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. And some, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we pray as you open the blind man's eyes that you would open our eyes this morning, that you would illuminate this text to us, that we would see truly who you are and what you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is such a strange story, especially if you're familiar with the stories of Jesus and how he does miracles. You don't ever see any other example of this kind of thing where it's a two-stage or a processed healing anywhere else. This is very unique. You don't, you see, except, except for one other time, there's no other stories in Mark where he uses spit, uh, of all things, to heal. So this is a really strange story. I want to walk you through some of the unusual features that I noticed as I was reading this. The first one is the fact that he leads the man out of the village. He leads him away from the crowds, or away from people. Now, why this is unusual is if you notice, when Jesus does healings, he has no problem doing them in public. Oftentimes, he's surrounded by dozens, if not hundreds, of people. And so, this is strange that he's taking him out of the, of his normal situation into a private situation. What, what I want us to gather from this is that Jesus has a plan. That whatever happens next, he is being very intentional. He's the one in control. He's the one who's leading the man. So he has a plan here. He is being intentional with whatever he's doing. Now, this is important to notice, especially because of the thing I'm going to point out next. Spit. Spit. Of all things, he's spit. Now, you might be wondering, what did, what did the disciples think when Jesus was spitting in this guy's eyes? So to illustrate what they may have been feeling, I would love for someone to volunteer as I spit in their eyes. Anybody? Any takers? I promise that my spit has healing properties. As a matter of fact, after this sermon is over, I'm going to start a line of healing salves with my spit. I might call it legit spit or drool fuel. Anybody want to try some drool fuel? No? Okay, so Listen, the the disgust that you might have felt at the thought of me spitting in your eyes, that's almost certainly what the disciples were feeling when they saw Jesus spit in this guy's eyes. There's every indication that in Jewish culture at this time, spitting in someone's face was offensive, just like it is now. Isn't that interesting? Jesus intentionally used an offensive means to heal this guy. He spits in his eyes. So what's going on here? Well, the third thing I want to point out that's unusual about this is the fact that he asks him this question. Can you see anything? He's asking a question about his healing. And again, if, if you're familiar with Jesus' stories, you know that he never asks a question. He's the one who declares. He's the one who says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Get up and walk. Woman, your daughter has been freed from this demon. These are the kinds of things that Jesus says. He never says, hey, let me check in with you. How are you doing here now? He's declaring what's happening. And it's not like his miracle mojo is running low today and he's running on fumes and so he has to kind of adjust for it. That's not what's happening here. I don't believe for one second that Jesus wasn't powerful enough for this to be an instantaneous miracle. So I think he's doing something on purpose here. I think he's leading the blind man through a process of healing for some reason. Now, what's really interesting to me about this story is I think that Jesus continues to heal like this today. He continues to work like this in in many stories, in many ways. This is uh, Shannon Rickert and she's hanging out with John Baker there. John Baker is the founder of Celebrate Recovery. This was just this past summer at at the summit, and uh, Shannon, if you don't know Shannon, Shannon is the director of care ministries at Chapel Hill, and she's been working with us for a number of years now. She's been doing a fantastic job, and uh, Shannon and I were talking about this story of the blind man this week, and she was struck by how many elements of this story were in her own story, and she Uh, allowed me to share some of her story with you today. Um, Shannon, when she began to work at Chapel Hill, she was required or asked to be a part of Celebrate Recovery, and she'd never done it before, and that that makes it sound simple, like, sure, go to Celebrate Recovery, but the truth is that Shannon didn't want to go to Celebrate Recovery. She didn't think it was for her. As a matter of fact, she told me about one time when she saw Celebrate Recovery, and uh, she saw some, some people smoking outside, and she said, I'm just not one of those people. And I love her honesty and, and her, her frankness about where she was at at that time. But you know what? She, she went to Summit. That was her first real exposure to Celebrate Recovery. She went to Summit years ago, and she saw people being transformed. And she saw God working in lives, and she began to think, you know what? Maybe God does have something for me in Celebrate Recovery. Now, I want to pause there in her story and, and just kind of point out some of the similarities with the blind man here. Because in, in a lot of ways, you see that Jesus was leading Shannon. That he was kind of taking her by her hand and pulling her out of where she was comfortable and into a new situation. Just like he led the blind man out of the village. He was the one in control. He was the one who had a plan for Shannon. And similar to the way that he spit in the guy's eyes, Celebrate Recovery to Shannon was kind of like spit in her eye, if you want to think of it that way. It was the offensive thing, the means, by way Jesus wanted to heal her. So there's some similarities already, as you can see, in in her story and the blind man's story, but it continues. Because Shannon went to Celebrate Recovery, she did a step study, spent about a year there, and, and she did it, and it was good for her. But in some ways it was kind of like a, a check mark. You know, I did that, I'm good, I'm good to go, we're done. But as Shannon continued to work here, she grew in her responsibilities, and eventually she came to become the person who was managing Celebrate Recovery. So now she was not just in celebrate recovery, she was running it. And as she was leading STEP studies and participating at a newer, deeper level, she began to see that God had more for her. God wanted to do some more work of transformation inside of her and work on things that she, was, she needed healing from. And this is where you see the similarity with the blind man. It was kind of like in Shannon's story, at some point, Jesus was asking her, can you see yet? Are you able to see? And for Shannon, there was some level, a spiritual level, that she couldn't really see. That She needed more healing, more of a process to go through. So I see this, I see this time and time again, that people go through processes of healing. Shannon went through that. You heard that somewhat in Marcio's story, too, that he went through a process, a journey is what he called it, of healing. So we see that healing is a process. Healing is a process, but why? Why does Jesus take some of us through a process? Why did he take the blind man through a process? Well, this is where we dive right back into the text and we begin to see some of the context and the clues about what's going on in this story. So if you've got your Bibles, you should definitely leave them open because we're going to be taking a whirlwind tour through the stories that happened before and after the story of the blind man to kind of get some, a bigger picture of what's happening. The first bit of context I want to talk to you about is actually earlier in the Bible. It's in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 is a messianic passage. In other words, it was something that the Jews at at Jesus' time recognized was going to tell them who the Messiah was, what he looked like, and how he acted. So let's read Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, verse 5, says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So that's interesting. We just read a story about a blind man whose eyes were opened. Hmm. So if you're a disciple, you should start paying attention here, right? That sounds like Isaiah 35, but check this out. Remember I mentioned that there was a story, another story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uses spittle. Okay, well that happens actually just the chapter previous to this in chapter 7. In that story, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus heals a deaf and a mute man. And he does it by sticking his fingers in his ears and spitting on his tongue. Now, if you're a disciple and you had just seen Jesus heal a deaf man and a mute man and a blind man, and you knew Isaiah 35, you might begin to start adding things up, right? This sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 35. Come to life in front of us. You would hope so. But then when you look in at Mark chapter 8, right before the story of the blind man, you see that Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. And they're, they're arguing about how much bread they have and, and what they need. And this is what Jesus tells them as they are arguing about this. In Mark chapter 8, verse 17. He says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes Do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? So he's basically saying, are you guys blind? Do you get it? Don't you understand what's going on here? Don't you get who I am? Apparently they did not at some level. Okay? So this this gives some meaning to the story of the blind man, doesn't it? So that's immediately before the story of the blind man. Then he heals the blind man. And then after, this is what happens. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Immediately after the story of the blind man, it seems like Peter gets it. Jesus says to them, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, he gets it. He can see, right? That's what it seems like. He's, he's added two plus two. This is the Messiah of Isaiah 35. He gets it. Oh, if only that were true. Because then immediately after that, and continuing in Mark chapter 8, Jesus tells them what is next for this Messiah. He tells them that he is, he's going to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to be tortured. He's going to suffer and he's going to die. He's going to be raised back to life. And Peter, after his magnificent confession of who Jesus is, turns right around and says, No, that's not the kind of Messiah you are. Lord forbid that that, that should ever happen to you. So for whatever Peter can see about Jesus, he's missing something here. He's kind of like the blind man when he saw people walking around like trees. He could see just a little bit, but not fully. And the story continues even then. That adds more context to the story of the blind man because then immediately after that, he calls the crowd and he begins to teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is what he says. If anyone would come after me Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And this is the spit in the eyes. This is the spit in the eyes, guys. This is the offense that Jesus gives to his disciples. This is the stumbling block. That they should follow a Messiah who's not living in power and in glory, but in suffering and humility. So, do you see all this adding up to give the story of the blind man so much more meaning than just a, a strange story about a blind man? Now we see that actually it becomes a sort of parable about the journey that the disciples were on in understanding who Jesus was. The disciples were the ones who had to be led out of a place of comfort and misunderstanding into somewhere different. The disciples were the ones who had to wrestle with the offense of Jesus as a suffering Messiah. The disciples are the ones who were led through a process, who could see just a little bit, but who needed to see more. So healing is a process, but why? Why is healing a process? Healing is a process that leads us to see more of Jesus. Healing is a process that leads us to see more of Jesus. You know, you, you got to wonder, what if the blind man had caught on to what Jesus was doing and he said, you know what? I don't want spit in my eyes. That's gross. What if Marcio hadn't recognized that cancer was something that God was using to heal him? What if Shannon had said no to celebrate recovery? What if the things that God uses to heal us aren't things of power or things of comfort, but they're things of discomfort, of weakness, of humility, of pain. You know, I really believe that Jesus continues to heal today. I believe that's true. And I believe that oftentimes Jesus will heal instantaneously, just like that. But there are some of us here who have stories like Marcio's or like Shannon's, who maybe are in a place of waiting, who are, or maybe you get healing in dribs and drabs, or maybe God is presenting something to you that you feel is offensive to you. And I want you to come away from this story of the blind man with maybe a different perspective. Perspective of the cross. See, the cross demands from... The followers of Jesus, a life of humility, of repentance, of obedience, of self sacrifice, self denial. And I believe that sometimes Jesus leads us on a journey through things that engender those in us, not only for our own benefit, not only for the sake of of ourselves that we would become more like Jesus, but so that we would see who Jesus really is. That God isn't the great vending machine in the sky who dispenses what we want, when we want it. But he is someone who is much more marvelous than that. He is someone who is deep into our suffering. He was, who is is in our pain and who redeems that and turns it into something more beautiful and wondrous than we could ever imagine. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. If you are in that place of waiting, if you are in a place of pain, I wonder if Jesus means something more for that, if that is part of what his plan is, to bring you through a process of healing. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for how marvelous you are. I thank you for how wise you are. Thank you for how we can trust you, even with the most painful things in our lives. So, Lord, this morning, we continue to yearn for your healing touch. But we desire that you would make us whole. And yet, Lord, in some ways, we recognize that sometimes that may be a journey. Sometimes, Lord, you bring us through because you want us to be more like you. So, Lord, help us to see with eyes clearly what you are doing and how you hope us to be more like you how you hope us to be transformed. So Jesus, give us your patience. Give us your spirit as you bring us through a process of healing. We ask in Jesus' name.